We're going to worship a little bit later on, and we're going to be listening to Ron um, uh, again this morning, talking about um, the Bible's invitational verses. And I just want to sort of set the scene uh, for that video this morning. So we're going to read from Revelation. If you'd like to follow it in your own Bible, it'll be on the screen, um, but also uh, if you've got your phone or tablet with you, it'll be on there as well. So Revelation 3, verse 7 um, to 13. It's one of the letters in the early chapters of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just pray. Lord, as we reflect on this and listen to Ron and just set the scene in a few moments, we pray that you would just speak to us through your word. We thank you that we have the Bible in our hands, that we can read for ourselves the scriptures. And we pray blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that we live in the kind of instant world and we have email. Praise the Lord for emails. Praise the Lord for texts and WhatsApp and instant messaging and all that. But it is still nice to receive a letter. I don't know if you have that experience. I was preparing for this and this little red van came down the drive. And uh, this man got out with a little letter, which was brilliant. Royal Mail. Fantastic. And um, I wonder if you can just imagine receiving a letter from Jesus, okay? From the one who loves us the most, loves you the most. The one who gave his life for us, gave his life for you. The one who knows everything about us and still loves us. I wonder how you would receive it. I dashed to the door to open the door for the postman. Would you receive what it had to say about your relationship with Jesus? Would you change aspects of your life if he asked you to? And would you do everything you could to please him as a response? I guess part of that response would be how much Jesus actually means to you. At the beginning of this amazing book, Revelation... John is exiled on the island of Patmos. There is huge persecution by the Roman authorities. Many of the early church leaders have been executed. John has been exiled. 
And he's late on in years. And he has this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. As he says himself, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he receives this revelation, this vision, this unveiling. And part of that revelation in the early chapters is that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, gives John a stack of letters. Seven letters in all to these early church. And the relevance of them, if you read them, it's amazing how relevant they are to the first century church and how relevant they are to the 21st century church. I find it staggering. And in all of them, they express God's love for them. In five of them, if you read them, they contain a compliment to the church and a complaint and a challenge. But it's really noticeable that in the two churches that are facing the most persecution, there is just the compliment. And so... Our focus today is on the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And Ron will introduce us to what he calls the Bible's most inviting verse. I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. And what Jesus thinks of the church in the first century and 21st century is of first importance. More important than what we think of ourselves. More important than what other people think of us. As God's church, what Jesus thinks. And the church of Jesus Christ is an extraordinary thing. Right across this world, people are gathering to worship Jesus. From every background, from every tribal background, from every color background. Because Jesus unites us all. And he stands at the center of his church. And in this passage, he talks about Jesus revealing himself as the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. They are the keys of salvation. They are the keys to death and hell. He unlocks them all. They are the keys of the kingdom. And by the riches of his grace, he offers them to us. So let's listen together to the Bible's most inviting verse as Ron teaches us. The beatings he could take, the smell of vomit he could handle, even the darkness of the cell did not disturb him on Julie, but the rats. At night they came, and he was jerked awake when they began to eat the fungus that had grown between his toes. This made him very ashamed, bizarrely so. As it was not his fault, but he had always been fastidious about his hygiene. Once he had overheard himself being called the sweetest smelling pastor in the land. It had made him surprisingly proud, his mother too, when he told her. But even the rats were not the worst part of the experience. Those were the voices. Voices of despair and exclusion. Maybe they came from the pit or from deep within, voices that threatened to break him in two and shut the door on his life and work. They were so familiar, he gave them names. There was its finished voice. He could see no good purpose for the gospel, 
that was being served by his isolation in prison. He needed to be witnessing, counseling, serving. Yet here he was, confined. Let's face it, said the voice. It's all over. Your ministry is finished. Then there was another voice. He called it, I'm excluded voice. I missed God's way, the voice said. He was in jail for standing up for a point of principle, refusing to allow the government to decide where and how he should worship. Some pastors he knew and respected had cut a deal with the government and were free. Was he really on God's side or just being stubborn? Excluded from the plan and love of God or finished, unable anymore to do the work of God. Doors slammed shut to ministry, even to salvation itself. And that's why this verse is in the scriptures, especially for the persecuted. I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Not closed doors, open ones, eternally open by the power of God. And that's the great paradox of persecution. God gives an open door to those on whom the doors appear to have shut. There are seven letters to churches in the book of Revelation. John uses direct speech from Christ. Most of them contain a compliment, a complaint, and a challenge. Of the seven churches, though, two are very persecuted, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And they are the only ones not to receive a complaint, only a compliment. All New Testament churches had three dangers that they needed encouraged and strengthened to face. They were to do with behaviors, beliefs, and beasts. Behaviors, inappropriate moral behaviors within the community, damaging the witness. Of the seven churches, Sardis and Laodicea get a stern warning here. Then beliefs, holding to wrong beliefs and false ideas that were leading faithful people astray. Ephesus, Pergamum, and Thyatira all get a warning here. The first two were internal. The third was external, beasts. That's persecution. Beasts were attacking the church. It's the last of these that is affecting Philadelphia, where we find our verse about the open door. The believers have been dismissed and denigrated by those in what's called the synagogue of Satan, probably hardline Jewish believers who say to the Christians, many of whom would be former Jews, you are no longer the true children of Abraham. Your new identity is illegitimate. God is not on your side. The temple of salvation, its doors are closed to you now. Well, there's a lot at stake. Social exclusion, salvific exclusion. And the believers are said to feel very powerless and belittled. So to be told by the prophets speaking the very words of Jesus that the opposite is the case, the doors are not shut but open, that would have carried a powerful positive charge. So what's meant by this open door in the midst of their persecution? It could have two meanings. One is that God is opening doors to do mission work. You think the gospel is getting bulked because of the persecution? No. In actual fact, it's spreading because of it. And this picks up the idea that throughout the New Testament, 
An open door is often described as a new mission highway. Paul and Barnabas report back to their sending church in Antioch that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles when they were traveling around Syria. Persecution is not a barrier to the spread of the church. More often, it is the motor of it. Look at the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's only when persecution comes that the gospel gets out of Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. That pastor in his cell was interrogated by a policeman who became very impressed that someone thought God was worth going to jail for. So he found a New Testament, read it, met Christ, and just a few months later, founded a house church movement that grew so rapidly that when the pastor was eventually released, he was asked to create discipleship training for the new groups that numbered hundreds of converts, far more than in his own church network. God had opened a door. The authorities had closed the doors on him. But God opened the doors of the gospel through him and reached hundreds in ways he could not dream of, sitting in his cell with his voices telling him that his ministry was over. Not over, supercharged. And there's another meaning of an open door too. It might mean God has opened the door to salvation. As we saw, the extremist Jews in Philadelphia were saying that God had closed the temple of salvation to the Christians. But the letter is full of symbols such as keys, doors, city, temple, and pillar that assure them that they belong to God in a way that their detractors do not. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, says Jesus to them. A pillar in the old temple, Gentiles were excluded. But these new Christians will have a place in God's new temple so permanent, they represent a pillar in it. And your detractors will see the error of their ways and admit this. Few experiences are more traumatic than being told by those religious leaders that guided us all our lives that we are damned because we follow Christ. People whose words we trusted with our lives say that we're no longer following God at all, but angering Him. But no, God has opened the door to His temple, and we belong in it. That jailed pastor again had an amazing experience along similar lines. When he was tempted to go back to his old faith as his health began to crack, he received a vision that he was in a mosque with all his relatives and all the imams he once trusted. They all looked up at the minbar, the pillar that constitutes a pulpit. And to his surprise, Christ appeared at the top and gave the sermon. And in the words of the pastor, he said, Christ spoke only to me not to anyone else. Well, with a vision like that, he could go on. He was a pillar after all, just like the Philadelphian believers. And he could hold fast to his beliefs because the door had been opened. Persecution indeed often comes because doors have been opened. Nick Ripkin, a teacher who studied this, wrote that the clearest predictor of persecution is response to the gospel. And he even added quite provocatively, he said, if our goal was to reduce persecution, 
It's easily done. You simply keep people from coming into relationship with Jesus. So to flip that around, persecution is usually because people are coming to Christ. The gospel is working. Christ is being exalted. And that's why the persecutors of the world get angry. Because a door has been opened. They thought they had shut. Witness, says Ripkin, is not about freedom. Because we are always free to witness. No one can take that away. Witness is ultimately about obedience. And God opens doors through our witness, even when we're least aware of it, or most discouraged at the apparent lack of it. Do you think the doors have been closed by whatever you're facing? Illness, loss of livelihood, lack of freedom? Put on your revelation visor and see the open door, the door God has opened against all the odds. We're going to respond um, by worshipping the Lord together and then we're going to um, draw the service and our time to a close by sharing communion together where it is the invitation of Jesus to come to him. And I just want to pick up on a few things of application for, for us, not just for the persecuted church, but for us. Those last questions that Ron raised, do you think doors have been closed to you in your life by whatever you're facing whether it be illness, loss of livelihood, or just circumstances. He wants us to see another open door, a door that he opens for us. I want to ask if you've ever experienced those voices that that persecuted believer heard in the prison. Not the exact same voices, but voices that apply to you. It's finished. It's over. And that challenge to us of being his church in terms of behaviors, beliefs, and beasts. All of us face different things in our lives. But we come back to Jesus again and again and again to know his love and his grace. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you'd like to as we worship. And I'm just going to pray. Then we're going to spend this time in drawing near to the Lord and singing these songs and using these songs to draw near to the Lord this morning and allow him by his spirit to work in our lives. I invite you to stand if you'd like to. Let's pray together.